We're going to jump into our message today. Now, I want to remind you that at the start of February, we will be starting the New Testament Challenge. For those of you who haven't heard of this before, we are inviting you to read through the entire New Testament by the beginning or the end of May, the beginning of June. And so if you have never read through the New Testament before, or you would like to figure out how do I read through the Bible, then we want to encourage you to be part of this. There are large reading plans at the front door on the welcome table there, and then each month there will be continued reading plans in your bulletin as well. But I want to encourage you to be part of that. As an incentive, as I mentioned last week, those who complete the New Testament challenge will be invited to an ice cream party magnificently. Super ice cream party. I don't know what kind of a descriptive word you want to use on there. But mostly we'll want to encourage you to engage in the Word of God together. Father God, as we think of of your word and as we as we read through some passages as we wrestle with hard questions lord we ask that you would be with us and that you would give us ears to hear your truth father we also pray that you would open our hearts and minds to be led by you lord i pray that you would loosen my tongue and that you would use me as your mouthpiece that the words wouldn't be mine but would be yours and anything that is simply mine would just go right off over our heads but that your truth would remain thank you father In Christ's name, amen. So we are in the middle of a series called Being Church, uh, A Shift in Perspective. And so what we are looking at is what does it mean to be the church? Not to go to church, not to do church, but to be the church. How do we as men and women who are followers of Jesus Christ be the church together? And so... uh, As we have gone through uh, a few different topics, and we'll continue through, I also want to remind you that all the sermons are online, and so if you miss one, feel free to go back and check them out. Today we're going to talk and wrestle with a question that I've heard come from within the church, and I've heard come from outside the church. And the question is, why are there so many churches? Why are there so many churches? And... A subsequent question is, why can't we get along? And I've heard and had this conversation with many people who don't participate in the Christian religion, are not part of any local church. And one of the reasons why they have been turned off of the Christian faith is because they look around and they say, there are like a whole lot of churches in Concordia. Why don't you guys work together? Why don't you help each other out. Why are there so many different ones of you? Why, why can't you get along? And I've heard it from inside the church saying, hey, why don't we do more things with other congregations? And I think both of those are very valid questions and the questions that we need to wrestle with, even if it makes us feel a little uncomfortable. Now, before we go into any of that, I do want to kind of give you a, an end statement right now. I think that we here at Chalmers have been starting to play much better with other churches. Play well with others, right? And I think that that is something that God gets uh, glory from. We are very intentional about partnering with other congregations within the community to serve our community. 
and there's always more to be done there. But I believe that the heart here at Chalmers is to partner and be part of what God is doing in Kincardine, not just build Chalmers' kingdom. And I must say that there are also a number of other local churches in this area whose hearts have also turned towards that unity. Now, back to the hard question, though. Why are there so many churches, and why can't we get along? Today I'm going to tackle the first part of the question, the why have we come up with a whole lot of different denominations and different churches, and there's a few different reasons for that. And then I want to lead us to what Scripture says about the church and how we should interact with one another. Now the short answer of why there are so many churches throughout history is that throughout the history of the Christian church, there have been movements of people who wanted to bring back the church that they were part of to a perceived truer Christianity. In other words, any schisms or any breaks or any denominational divisions and, uh, and new denominations coming out largely were because someone within their church saw that maybe what they were doing wasn't exactly what Scripture or God wanted the church to be or do. And so brought that situation up and said, hey, maybe we've gotten a little off track here. And if we have gotten off track, then we need to reverse course. And to a large extent, the individuals or the movements all start out wanting to reform the church from within. And so, whether it was the East-West schism of the Roman Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church, whether it was Martin Luther putting up 95 theses on the, on the door of Wittenberg, and eventually then creating a lot of chaos within the, the, the Catholic and then into Protestant churches, whether it was the Anabaptist movement or the, or the Third Wave Charismatic movement, whatever these movements have been, they have started with well-intentioned people wanting their church, their congregation, and the larger church to be focused on Christ. What has come out of that, however, has been a whole lot of denominations. And I couldn't count the number of denominations that there are in the world. I heard one person say there was over 400, and I would say that's probably fairly accurate. And denominations have continued to kind of splinter as the years have gone on. And they splinter for a number of reasons, and I want to share with you some of those reasons. The main reason why we get different denominations is because of theological secondary issues. Theological secondary issues. Theological means what we believe about God. But theological secondary issues are the parts of what and how we believe about God there's a lot of question about, and, and, and that, that Scripture isn't as clear about as other theological issues. And so there's a difference between theological secondary issues and theological primary issues. Theological primary issues being the authority of Scripture, the, the humanity and deity of Jesus, Jesus as the, the only way to the Father, the salvation by faith alone, all those kind of things. And so let's look at some of the 
theological secondary issues that, frankly, there would be a lot of differences in if you went from one church to another. There would be ways that we would express these here at Chalmers versus another church. And frankly, there are ways that you might express or believe some of these issues that the person beside you might say, I, I don't think that I'm in the same spot as you. So here's where, here are some of the theological issues. Number one, baptism. One of the big questions who is the proper candidate for baptism? Some Christians would say that it is only for believers, and others would say, well, it should also be included for, uh, for infants or, or, or children of believers. And so there's, there's a question there, and, and that has caused a lot of division. You have Baptist churches, and you have churches that would say infants or, or children are also allowed to be baptized. God's sovereignty is a big question. Exactly how set is everything that's going to happen in our world? Is everything predestined? Or do we have free will? And if we do have free will, does that negate that God is all-powerful, or is God still all-powerful even when we do have free will? And there's lots of questions and lots of debates on this, and, and really smart people like to argue about all these little details. How about the Lord's Supper? When we break bread and share in the Lord's Supper together, again, there's lots of questions within different denominations about who should participate in the Lord's Supper. Is there something that's supernatural that happens when the bread and the wine are poured and broken? Who should participate in the Lord's Supper? All these are questions that if you go to one church, they may have one answer, and if you go to another church, they may have another answer. Your big theological word for today? Eschatology. Say that with me. Eschatology. You sound smarter already. Eschatology. It's simply a big word that means the study of the end times. And so, again, one of the big things that Christians love to debate is what's going to happen at the end of the world. What's going to happen when Jesus comes back or before Jesus comes back? Are we all going to be raptured out of here? Or do we get to be part of bringing in the reign of Christ? Church and state is another secondary theological issue. How connected with politics should churches and Christians be? Good news. What is the focus and the priority of the good news that we have of God's love. Should churches be more evangelical-focused with sharing about a salvation message? Or should we be more focused on social justice and caring for the poor? Church governance is a big one. How do we lead churches? And we talked a little bit about that last week. But how do we lead churches? Should there be a hierarchy? Should it be from the grassroots up? Should there be one person? And, and should that be male or female? All these are good questions that that lots of churches disagree on. Authority. What is our authority for faith? Is it just scripture or can we also include some tradition in there, some church fathers in there? What do we think about the difference with our authority? And then finally, the Holy Spirit. How much influence and focus do we put on the Holy Spirit? Now, These are the secondary theological issues. And this is mainly 
where we get all these different 400 or whatever different denominations. And the troubling part about these different denominations, and I've actually witnessed it, unfortunately, to Christian's shame, but there are Christians who will take these theological issues and look for divisions. You might meet someone and they'll say, oh, hey, I go to church too, that's awesome. And as the conversation continues, they might say, well, like, you know, are you born again? And you may say, well, yes, from my, what I understand is what you mean by that buzzword, yes, I'm born again. Well, how does your church do baptism? Well, this is how we do baptism. Oh, that's good. That, that, um, same. Well, what do you guys believe about the end times? Well, we would be, you know, amillennial or premillennial or postmillennial. What? You guys are heathens. And they look for these small little non-issues and make them into huge issues. Now, there are also other reasons why we have lots of different churches, even within denominations. And you could have, like, three Baptist churches all in the same town. And, and most of that comes from stylistic differences, where you might have a congregation that is more contemporary or laid back, one that's more traditional, one that its building looks a certain way and others that, that the building looks differently. Do you prefer sitting in a pew? Do you prefer sitting in chairs? Do you want to stand for the hour and a half? What does the music sound like? What is the preaching like? All these things are stylistic differences. Now, stylistic differences, again, aren't bad in this way. Never, ever, 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 never, ever, ever should Christians become consumers. Never. And so saying, well, that church has better coffee than this church is ridiculous. But to look and say, you know what, there is a certain music style that I prefer and leads me in worshiping God. Or I get really distracted because the pews are just so hard. Those are things that, you know what, some people make decisions about. But I really want to emphasize that the whole stylistic thing should not be a major factor. It can be a factor in in reaching non-Christians sometimes, but even that is not very likely. And so styles change and are different, but usually it's the theological issues that are are the big differences. Now, I want to emphasize a couple things about these essential and unessential theologies. First of all, I want to say, here at Chalmers, we are a mutt church. We are a mutt church. What do I mean by that? We have a denomination that we are a part of called the Congregational Christian Churches in Canada. It's a mouthful. We usually say the four C's because that's a little bit easier. But even within that denomination, we are not a purebred. There are very few people in this congregation who grew up as Congregational Christian Church in Canada people partly because we only became Congregational Christian Church in Canada. See, it's a real mouthful in like 89. So if you were born in 90 plus and you've, you grew up at this church, you can be like, I'm one of the only people who would say, 
I'm four C's, true and true. But for the most part, people have come from different backgrounds. If you were raised within the church, from different church backgrounds and traditions. And one of the things about this is that I love that we are a much church. I love that we are a mishmash, a mosaic, a beautiful tapestry of different denominations and theological stances. Within this church, we have people who have been part of the United Church of Canada, the Presbyterian Church, the Anglican Church, the Southern Baptist Church, the Conventional Baptist Church, Catholicism, uh, Christian Reform, Brethren, Pentecostal, Charismatic, Missionary, Non-Denominational, and I didn't know about Jesus until I got here. We are a mutt church. And this is one of the many things that I love about Chalmers. We are very firm on the essentials of our faith, including the authority of Scripture, that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the only way to the Father, and that he is our Lord and Savior, that he died for our sins, and three days later he rose from the grave. Many of these things, and many, many more, these are the essentials of our faith, and we do not waver on them. And if you're not there, that's okay, but we're going to try to get you to that place. But many of the other secondary theological issues that often create such divide, we give each other liberty on. You and I may disagree on baptism, or on communion, or on end times, or on just war and pacifism, or on whatever it might be. But at least as far as I've been here, there have been very few punches thrown because of these secondary theological issues. And I love that. And just just while we're on this for a second, one of the reasons why I love the denomination that we are affiliated with, the four C's, is that they allow us to have that liberty on these secondary issues. It's very hard to find any denomination that does not put their foot down very firmly on a secondary issue. And so... We have the liberty to be a mutt church because of the denomination that we're part of, and I think that's a good thing. Now, there are some things about the essential theologies that we do need to recognize. And one of the things that we need to to recognize and just have in our minds is that there are people and there are organizations and groups that would call themselves Christians, but that would disagree with the essential theology of Orthodox faith. And so Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, there are are many cults that go out there, and they will say, we follow Jesus, but don't believe in the Trinity, don't believe that Jesus was actually God, don't believe in, in Scripture. And so when you start talking about, well, I think that, you know, we both use the name Jesus, but... Your Jesus isn't the Jesus from the Bible. And not to say that that we should shun these people at all, but we do need to be careful that as we are sharing the gospel, that we share the gospel even with those who use the label Christian but may not hold to the essentials of the faith because they still need to know Jesus. Now, all that being said, let's look at Scripture for a few minutes and say, see, what does Paul and what does Jesus say about Christians and about how we should get along with one another? 
1 Corinthians 1, 10 to 13. 1 Corinthians 1, 10 to 13. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth, and this is what he says. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there may be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Pretty tall order. It's a pretty tall order. That you agree with one another in what you say, that there may be no divisions among you, that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. And then he gives an example of how that's not working. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. And another says, I follow Apollos. And another says, well, I follow Cephas, who is Peter. And still another, I follow Christ. And Paul says, this is ridiculous, folks. Here's what he says. He says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? This is both troubling and good news, I think. Because this is like 20, 30 years after Jesus was crucified and ascended. And already the church can't get along. Already there's divisions within congregations. And there are people who say, well, I'm going to follow this guy's teaching. And someone else says, well, no, I'm going to follow this guy's teaching. And then someone says, well, I'm going to follow Christ's teaching. Like there are three roads. But what they don't realize is that Paul and Apollos and Cephas are all following Christ. They may say it in different words. They may act it out in different ways, but they're all following Christ. Christ is the one that we are to follow. Christ is the one that we are to learn from. Christ is the one of whom we take authority. Do not simply listen to me. Read it for yourself. I say this many times. Do not just take my words as gospel, because I can be wrong. You are not part of the Church of Brian. My authority, what I say in my sermons, is not the same as reading it for yourself in your Bible. Always go back to Scripture. I hope and I pray that how I preach and how I lead us is following Jesus. But I mess up from time to time. And I may say it wrong. And if I do, I want to be part of a congregation that goes back and goes, I don't know if you were right on that one, Brian. Maybe we need to talk through that. The other thing is that from my mind to my mouth to your ears, things sometimes happen. I've talked to some people who go, wow, Brian, when you said this, it really made me think. And I went, I didn't even say that. (laughs) So, focus on Jesus. He is our authority. We need to be following him. A little bit further on, Paul talks to the church in Ephesus. Uh, And we we read a little bit of this last week, but I want to go back there. This is Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Paul says this, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you, 
to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Paul is giving us instructions on how do we live with one another. Not just within this congregation, but within the Big C Church. And so whether there are disagreements between you and someone else, whether you are talking to someone from another congregation, here's how we're supposed to treat each other. Be completely humble and gentle. Can we all agree that we may not have our theology 100% perfect? I believe what I believe very strongly, but I need to be humble enough to know I might be wrong. I might be wrong with how I believe the end of the world is going to come. I might be wrong in these secondary issues. I might find someone who has a difference in agreement with me, and I might be wrong. That's hard, hard for us to think, but like, you might be wrong. So we need to be humble enough to say, there's a lot in Scripture that isn't 100% clear. If it was 100% clear, we wouldn't have these secondary theological issues. So be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. In doing so, Keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body. Why do we do this? Because there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope and when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. When we think of how do we interact with other churches, other denominations, other local congregations, this is important for us to remember that we are part of the same body, that Christ is the head, and that we play a role as part of the local church, as part of the body of Christ. But we at Chalmers are not just the body of Christ. We are part of the body of Christ with the missionary church and the Baptist church and the Catholic church and the United Church and the whatever church. And the worst thing for a body is to start fighting about itself, right? If a body attacks another part of the body, well, we call that cancer today, don't we? We, as part of the body here at Chalmers, need to be so focused on our head, which is Christ, And we pray and we trust that the other churches are focused on the head who is Christ. So that when Christ calls us as a body of believers to do one thing in our community. And Christ calls another body of believers to do another thing. That we bless each other. And we see that God is indeed working and moving around his body for his good and his purposes. Fast forward a little bit into Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. We read a little bit of this last week. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up when? 
until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The aim is to be unified. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. When we have animosity within churches, when we have these us-them separations, we're infants, we're toddlers. I have an infant back there, three months old, and his arms are flailing about, and he can't do anything on, on his own. We don't want to be a church like that. We want to be a church that is united and focused on Christ. I want to be part of the greater church that is united and focused on Christ. One of the big things that we need to think about here is that we are called to unity, but we're not called to uniformity. So we are called to unity within our church and within the greater body of Christ. But that doesn't mean that we all look alike or worship alike or talk alike or even serve Christ in the same ways. We're called to unity, to love one another and to serve one another and to be one under Christ. But we're not called to all have the same look, all have the same feel, all even serve Christ in the same way. Here's what Jesus says in John 17. My prayer is not for them alone. That was, my prayer is not just for the disciples. I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that, that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So we are called to be united. We are called to be together under Christ for his kingdom. But that doesn't mean that we look the same. It doesn't mean that we act the same. There may be people that you go, you know what, I, I met someone at another church and I don't want to be besties with them. That's okay. It's okay. There are probably people within this church that you don't want to be besties with either. And that's okay because you don't have to be best friends with someone in order to love them and to respect them. And so what I want to invite us as a congregation to think about and to work towards and to continue to work towards is this kingdom cooperation, not competition. We here at Chalmers want to be so focused, need to be so focused on the kingdom of God that Jesus is ushering in into the concurrent area. But we don't want to be doing that by competing with other churches. Because again, we're not called to be the same as another church. What we are called to do is to work together 
for the gospel. And so the kingdom of God only comes when there is a healthy Chalmers Community Church, but also a healthy Tiverton Baptist Church and a healthy Knox Presbyterian Church and a healthy St. Anthony's Catholic Church and a healthy Harbor and healthy Center of Hope and a healthy Lighthouse Baptist Church and a healthy Concordant Baptist Church and a healthy Lutheran Church because we're the same body. Have you ever, like, stubbed your toe or, or broken your toe? Number one, it hurts like, yeah. <laughs> it hurts a lot. But number two, it's amazing how other parts of your body get affected when one part is injured. It's amazing how when one part of our body is unhealthy, the rest of them are affected. Some of you probably have been dealing with, there was like a crazy cold or flu or stay away from me, whatever it is that people have been going through. And like, it's been like weeks and weeks and weeks to, to get over it. When you have the, like a cold or a flu, like your whole body suffers, doesn't it? The same is true. When one part suffers, we all suffer. When one part's glorified, we're all glorified because Christ is glorified. So as a church, we want to continue to work with other congregations. We want to continue to care and support and encourage other churches. Because when one church is doing well, it benefits all of us. So I want to invite you as the weeks and months and years go on, that you get to know people from other the denominations, other congregations, that you get to be part of some of the initiatives that we are doing with other churches, whether it is a fall fair service, whether it's a prayer night, whether it's like the if gathering, whatever it might look like, that you would come to see the body of Christ truly as the body of Christ. Let's pray about that now. Lord Jesus, as we first and foremost recognize you as our head, we thank you that you are the one who calls the shots. And as a church, especially as we're going to have a congregational meeting after this, we submit to that authority, to your authority, because without that we can disagree and we can try to go in 50 million different directions. But if we are listening to you, and if we are focused on you and you receiving the glory and all the honor and all the praise, then we'll work in the way you want us to work. And so, Father, whatever idols, whatever baggage we have brought with us, we just lay it down at your feet. We ask that you would forgive us, that you would help us refocus on you. We give this church to you. We also want to ask that you would forgive us for any animosity that we may have felt between us and any other church, any competition, any frustration, any baggage, any junk, we just want to, again, lay it at your feet. We pray for those churches. We ask that you would bless them, that you would be with them, that you would help them to follow and honor you, that they would serve you where you call them to, that we would serve you where you call us to, and that together we would be part of your kingdom. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.